from the training industry who call it sheep dipping. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that term. Dip them in, get as much information as you can, and then it's the application. So the way that we build it is in the training program, you get the actual framework. And then we always try to click on at least a month or two of coaching where we go through each of the sections of the framework and apply it to real life and road test it as they're going through. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was David Delaney. David is the founder and CEO of TenBound, as well as the co-author of a book titled The Sales Development Framework how to build and scale a highly productive sales development program. And in our conversation, we're talking about improving the performance of sales development teams. We dig into the three levers that David says managers can pull to cure a sales development problem. We also dive deep into the eight elements of what David calls his sales development management operating system, including why as a sales development leader, your core competency must be the ability to create and drive a strong culture. And we also talk about why David believes that some people in management may feel that leadership is not a necessary factor in running a sales development program. And that sort of says it all, doesn't it? Well, it's a great discussion. We get into all this and much, much more. But before we get to David, I want want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could leave us a review, give us your feedback about how we're doing. So, Thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. David, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, uh, me, me as well. I mean, we, we've we uh, had conversation before, and uh, if that was a preview of what we're going to talk about today, that was great. So uh, for folks who aren't familiar with you, explain what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I run a company called TenBound. And we work with sales development teams to improve their performance and uh, also put out a ton of content and research and advisory services for the sales development space. So if folks are interested in building pipeline and all the different aspects that go into sales development, they come to TenBound. And what type of companies do you work with? Exclusively software as a service, B2B companies, um, mm-hmm. anywhere from seed up to you know public companies, um, anywhere in between. If they have an SDR team or they're thinking about building one, we work with them. Got it. Got it. So how long have you been doing this? I mean, what, was, what drove you to start the company? Yeah, you know, I I've been in sales for 20 years. I I was I came up selling sales training, which is kind of an interesting thing uh, back in the day. Selling for who? Mm-hmm, for it became uh, Miller Hyman Group, but it was uh, okay. called Achieve Global at that time. They, All right. All right. They were famous for professional selling skills, which right maybe some people know about still. <laughs> that was our thing. Um, and uh, and then I got into the tech industry. And started uh, the sales development team uh, initially at Glassdoor, um, and okay. which ev- eventually grew up, started running sales development teams, uh, building expertise there, and then um, hung up the shingle here at TenBound uh, back in 2017 
and started working with companies, building playbooks and doing training and just anything sales development related. It kind of grew from there. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so Glassdoor C probably overlapped with uh, oh, something that's been on our show a few times, Olivier Labbe? Yeah, yeah. The, the Glassdoor Mafia, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of talking heads, you know, that came out of of that um, class. Olivier was an amazing sales leader, uh, and uh, Sahil, Clay Bentley, Jake Dunlap, um, Doug Hall. Um, you'd have to be a real, you know, sales guru nerd to know <laughs> about these people, but they're they're very prolific, and uh, yeah. Well, speaking of being prolific, so you've co-authored a book titled The Sales Development Framework, How to Build and Scale a Highly Productive Sales Development Program. Um, so what, what, was, uh, what was the impetus to write the book? Yeah, you know, uh, building up the, the training program that we do for, for uh, SDR managers, um, it's, it was for a while the only SDR training <laughs> for, for SDR managers, uh, but there's mm -hmm. a few more that have, have cropped up. And, uh, and, you know, building out the program over a one-day training program that we used to do live and, and now we do um, over Zoom and online, uh, building it out uh, in a sequential structure to essentially take somebody who was an SDR or is an SDR team lead or is actually running an SDR program and giving them a framework to, um, you know, increase their proficiency as a manager of those teams and then also to start to think about next steps in their career and how they can apply that. So, Yeah, so, so you said it's a one-day program? Yeah, mm-hmm. Yep. And, and so what what can someone learn in one day about how to become a manager? <laughs> well, you know, I, from the training industry, we call it sheep dipping. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that term. But, um, you, you no, but it, it seems very appropriate. Yes. Google it. Yeah. <laughs> so you di dip them in, uh, you know, get as much information as you can, and then it's the application. So we, we the way that we build it is, in the training program, you get the actual framework, and then we always try to click on at least a month or two of coaching where we mm -hmm. go through each of the uh, sections of the framework and apply it to real life and, and uh, road test it you know, as, as they're going through. So we really only sell the training as part of a longer-term coaching because, uh, to your point, um, you know, yeah, exactly. You can learn a lot of stuff, <laughs> but it's actually the application of where the right. rubber hits the road. Yeah. Yeah. The reinforcement. So yep. now guest, past guests mm. on the show have, and recent mm. guests have cited studies that of SDR performance showing that you know, the vast majority of SDR teams aren't hitting their goals. And just wondering what your take is on that you know, sort of a prelude to getting in and talking about the book in more depth. So is that, is the issue the sellers or the goals or the leaders? Yeah, I mean, I think it's multifaceted. There's there's an appropriate time to use the sales development function um, in a company. There's an appropriate time to, um, to, to, you know, introduce that motion as part of the go-to-market strategy. 
depending on where the company is, what they're selling, what the target market looks like, and and if it if it's going to be an effective way to to use their resources, you know. So it's it's definitely not a a one size fit all fits all you know solution for every company out there. Um, and and so it's important you know to take a step back if if you have you know an SDR team or you're thinking about building one. You know, first and foremost, is this an appropriate use of resources, and is this something that could be potentially useful? Um, and and start from there uh, versus where we see you, most companies. Yeah, they they, well, they mean, just you don't default mm-hmm. to the idea that you need an SDR team. Cor- correct. Yeah, definitely. Uh, from a leadership perspective. Uh, you know, take a step back and, and make sure that it's appropriate, you, you know, use of resources for your for your go to market strategy first. And if you already have one and it's clicking and it's working and it's 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 producing the, the, the benefits that you're going for, then you're probably pretty good. If, if, but if it's not, then, you know, you've got to start a diagnostic process that could go all the way back to formula. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there seems to be more talk these days among in the sales world and especially in SaaS about, yeah, geez, maybe, maybe we really need to rethink this whole sales development model that we have. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's everything's up for grabs, right? And, and, um, it's, it's, it's about building pipeline and sales pipeline that's qualified for the sales team. And mm-hmm. so if, if you can do it through different ways and different methods and it's, it's an, an enough pipeline for you to hit your number, then, you know, it's not necessarily that you need an SDR team. You just need to be able to build pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if, you, if, if you're not and there's not enough coming from marketing, um, the salespeople aren't effective or, or, or prospecting themselves, um, you know, or uh, inbound leads are falling through the cracks, and you know they're 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 not being followed up on. Um, you know, it might be it might be the right time to think about starting one of these programs. Yeah. So let's let's dive into the the framework. And you say that you have eight elements of your you call it your sales development management operating system. Uh, and I want to sort of go through each of those: I mean, culture, leadership, hiring, training, coaching. I should go slower so people could write it down. Culture, leadership, hiring, training, coaching, analysis, results, and reputation. So let's start at the top. Who's who's responsible for culture development within a sales dev organization? And what should that culture be? Yeah, I mean, so hopefully the, the company has a culture or a positive culture to start with. And that comes obviously from the top um, in, the, in the leadership position. But, you know, we, we try to take it down to you're going to be the leader of this group and the leader of the program. And so it's important to think about what kind of culture that you want to rep- represent and the type of culture that you want to build on the team. Uh, that was one of the things that we saw, and just from experience, the, that people don't really think too much about, especially at the beginning. Um, they just sort of let the culture grow organically, which can be good or bad, you know, depending on, <laughs> you know, what that what that individual is, uh, you know, uh, focused on. 
But uh, we really recommend that that you think deeply about what type of culture you want on your specific program and and make sure that you document that and start to, you know, inculcate it into your to your, uh, you know, practice as a leader. Let's define the term leader in this in this context. Are we talking about frontline managers or a, a more senior level of leadership? The frontline manager uh, for for the SDR team. Sure. Yeah. So so you write in the book these in this quote you said as a sales development leader your core competency must be to create and drive a strong culture with well established beliefs customs and values for your team. And so I guess the question I have this is part of a bigger narrative that I. I love to harp on here on the show is how in the world are, you know, these <laughs> inexperienced frontline managers supposed to know how to do any of that? I mean, how, yeah. how, right. I mean, we, we take by the book, top performer. <laughs> yeah. By the book. And we top, top performers, we, we promote them. And then it's like, okay, there you go. Yeah. I mean, you can't argue with the fact that that is important to develop a strong culture. It's going to be driven by values and yeah character and ethics and beliefs, but these people don't have a, a background. And it's, it's, again, this is not picking on the book. It's just, you know, we, this is just an issue that, that keeps coming up and up. It's like, we just assume that, that these frontline managers have these capabilities to do things they've never really been exposed to, nor had an opportunity to really even to think about in their prior job because they were, they were selling. Yeah, it's a really good point. And and so not to overcomplicate it, it, it can just essentially be what's the ideal culture that the that the leader wants to represent? And and can you just take, you know, half an hour and write that down? Um, it, it, you know, on a piece of paper in your notebook or on your computer, what that would actually look like. And and so hopefully we can give them some steps in the book to be able to get quiet, think about what what that culture would look like, and just document it. And that's step one. And and you know it it, it just uh, it, it just doesn't happen usually. And and if you think about if you start to try to build a program without establishing the culture and what your expectations are as a leader for that culture then you're really kind of building it on a weak foundation and, and sure. you know, there's nothing really to go back to. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I, th I think the problem was with, with, you know, young managers, you know, they're thrust into these roles and no one, nobody really takes the time. I mean, in general, we, we underinvest to such a severe degree in management, which to me is, you know, if I had the choice and, Again, people listen to our loyal listeners know that this is one of my big things is, you know, every year I would invest more money in training managers than I would in salespeople as an industry, as a profession. Yeah, I would, you know, LinkedIn report like $15 billion a year and spend on sales training, probably five, 10% spent on managers. I would flip it on its head. I mean, I would say, let's spend the, the majority of that money, vast majority on training managers and leadership about how to do these things that you you talk about in the book that we'll get more into because they just have no freaking clue. And it's not a, it's not a personal failing on their part. People need to be taught. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, and and it's it, it's especially in sales. It it seems you know if you're able to kind of claw your way up through the ranks to become a sales manager, then it seems like. And this goes all the way back to when I was at Achieve Global. I mean, we could never sell. Nobody bought the sales manager training. Um, it was just always. I've got these reps that I need to train. And so, you know, can you train 100 people for me? Sure. Okay. Right. We really highly recommend you also get the sales manager training because they're <laughs> going to be the ones, to your point, who are, you know, belly to belly with the sales reps every day and, and should be coaching and, and mentoring them to improve their skills. But, uh, and, yeah. Yeah, we need to train them how to coach, how to mentor I mean, yeah. just the simple step that you talked about is just, you know, having someone, you know, think about oftentimes when people sort of pattern how they want to behave as adults or the lives they want as adults, when they sort of make that transition, um, maybe out of college or whatever, it's like, oftentimes it's, <clears throat> geez, you know, if I sort of want to like have the, emulate the way my, my parents did it, right? The life they had, or oftentimes it's the exact opposite, right? <laughs> I don't want to be like my parents at all, but you know, the people that sort of consciously think about that and this idea of that, you know, we put people in these roles and we don't, the first thing we do is just say, look, even before you assume this role, let's take you out of the field for two weeks before you start assuming, you know, control of these folks and let's, your new team and let's, let's go through this stuff. I agree. And, and, you know, at, at larger companies that have a more sophisticated training program, there, there definitely is that. I, and, and, uh, but but a lot of us are at startups and, you know, and we're in the B2B tech world and it's just sort of sink or swim a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I know it's a cliche, but people, a lot of times they leave because of the relationship that they have with their manager. And especially if they're like, I'm, I'm just getting no value from this. I mean, all, all you're doing, especially in the sales development world, you know, all you're doing is telling me to make more calls, send more emails, like... I'm not getting any value from this relationship, you know? So they, they, uh, that's one of the factors, right? That, that people end up leaving the company because of their. Yeah, the, you know, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you're, mm-hmm. I think there's a recent numbers from Gallup again, that came out just recently in the last few weeks that substantiate that, <clears throat> excuse me, substantiate that is that. Yeah. People leave because of their manager, right? It's biggest, biggest cause of churn. And it's not, the manager's a horrible person. It's to your point is, can they really help me? And so we you know, take said people who really don't even have a lot of sales experience, but they've experienced some success in the context of their job there. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, maybe they have two years experience and we throw thrust them into a management role. And does you said before, it's sort of sink or swim. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I live in the world of, SDRs and, and sales development, but I, I would argue that sales development management is one of the hardest uh, management positions, you know, on the go-to-market side in that you're, you're sure. sort of the connective tissue um, between marketing and, and sales and even, you know, pro- product and enablement and, and the exec team. And you're kind of at this uh, intersection, trying to coordinate all these people that that you don't necessarily have any direct line, you know, control over, <laughs> and and th- so there's a lot of 
that uh, that aspect that we're, we just kind of expect them to be able to do. And it's 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 a tough position. Yeah, well, especially if you're promoting, as I said, promoting people directly, you know, like newer frontline managers. Um, Big time. Yeah, yeah because like I said they, they barely know how to sell yet, let alone how to manage and coach people. And I mean, I was early, early in my career, I was promoted quickly into my first management job, less than two years, my first sales job. And yeah, I was managing 12 people and <laughs> at least half of them were substantially older than I was. <laughs> and they looked at me like, you've got nothing to offer me. <laughs> and in some cases they were absolutely right at that point in time. And yeah. I mean, I had did get the benefit after I'd been in the role for a few months to, yeah, as worked for a really big company, so I had training and you know went off site and you know to our national training headquarters and so on. But and that was very useful. But yeah, most people don't get that. Um, yeah, exactly. All right. So then, next thing you had was leadership. Yeah, and you said gaining a good understanding of the difference between leadership and management is crucial. So, mm. in your mind, what is that difference between leadership and management? Yeah, I you know it's interesting because uh, the the management part is the sort of looking back almost and and making sure that um, we're controlling the dashboard on in in the SDR world and that we know how many calls they've made, how many emails they've sent, uh, you know how we're converting the activity to to pipeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the leader leadership is really more of the vision aspect of of what what does a successful team actually look like and are we are we embodying that behavior and those attitudes and you know the the cultural aspects that we we put down in in the first chapter and living that every day cuz cuz one of the things you know that that you mentioned was um you know, having something to offer. Um, one of the first things that we see with SDR managers is they've been in SDR for a year or two. And as soon as they get promoted, they're like, oh, thank God, I never have to cold call anybody. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, yeah, no, talk, to, talk to people said their motivation to get that promotion is to not have to do that again. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, and and we're kind of tapping the brakes a little bit and saying, wait a minute. From as a, as a manager, maybe you can sit there and and monitor things and make sure that people are on track and and you're you're doing that correctly. But you also have to think about the leadership aspect in that, you know, if you're asking them to make calls and do things that are uncomfortable, they're going to be looking at you to make sure not only are you demonstrating that, but are you better at it than them? Um, so that's just one aspect of leadership. Well, but does, does, I mean, cause you do write about that. I mean, yeah. you give the example, you know, when you write about, if you want a team to a cold call blitz, you better be ready to throw on a headset and show them you're got it and still willing to do it. And, you know, I, I, I don't know that I don't sure I buy that. And to me, that seems like, you know, a bit of a fallacy because, you know, I can give chapter and verse of really effective leaders and multiple different types of roles, including sales that, yeah, they're not necessarily great salespeople or, you know, great soccer players, but you know, they fabulous soccer coaches or football coaches and so on. I mean, there's, so I'm interested in diving into this. Why? Cause this is not, you're not the only one that brings it up. I'm, I read this all the time on 
LinkedIn and so on. And it's, it's like, hmm, what's the message we're really trying to send when we say that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it goes back to that, the, like the ivory tower syndrome that that happens, especially in this particular role, because it's it's, um, you know, the, there's a kind of a combination of factors. So there's there usually the people that are doing the SDR job are are relatively inexperienced and and new, um, you know, in in their career and they're trying to build mm. their skills. And they need a lot of a, a lot of support, and they also need to feel like the 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 person who's managing them is going to be able to teach them something and offer you know some guidance and and mm-hmm. uh, and 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 uh, support really to be able sure. to model that. And and so the, the the and like I said, the tendency that we see is as soon as you get into the manager role, you ju- just drop everything. And and if you think of like the best sales managers that you had in the day. They they would drive out to the to the sales call with you at first and and then do the call and then get back in the car and you'd have that you know uh, dashboard <laughs> dashboard debrief on the way back to the office of what went wrong uh, what went right and what went wrong and we just don't really see that happening a lot with SDRs because it, it, it's almost like you're on your own. Um, you know, you, you, you're not necessarily working with your manager like that. But there's so many, I mean, that's <clears throat> interesting, the observation though, because we've never been in an era where there are more tools like revenue.io and conversational mm-hmm. intelligence, conversational AI and, and that whole market segment where it's never really been easier for managers to listen in on what sellers are doing, whether it's, you know, in the moment or after the fact, listening to a recording. Yeah, it's true. And, and what, you know, what's interesting is that, um, uh, you know, a lot of the leaders that are, that, that, you know, we run into for, for example, don't spend enough time on coaching, even when they have tools like revenue, uh, IO and, and, and others that, that can help them to speed up that process. Um, just, the coaching aspect of the job a lot of times gets dropped uh, and it's a more of a focus on on management and it it really it's 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 kind of strange when you think about the the tools that are available and and you know the capabilities that people have now um well yeah i mean i I think that i think that leads to a very specific point which is that that we're not enabling you know these new managers um with the right perspectives and the right uh, mindsets if you will about how to become you know how to transition from being what I like to call it, just a boss to being a leader um yeah if it's <laughs> i remember the the very first lesson i had when i moved into management is from the big boss i worked for not my immediate manager um but it was like, yeah, I mean, you only win if your people are winning, right? You can only succeed to the extent your people succeed. And I think, for me, I think this difference becomes more stark these days. Using the example you gave, uh, difference between leadership and management is those who see that, I think, leaders look at the people first, right? They lead people. And managers focus on the process. And I call those managers just bosses, right? They're 
what you call in your books are the dashboard cowboys is, is, and I think we don't, you know, enable people to really think more broadly about what their role is and how they really succeed and how the company ultimately succeeds. Yeah. In the, in the face of sort of inexperience and, and not lack of knowledge about how to, how to coach people, how to mentor people, how to help people develop. Yeah. They default to the tools at hand, which is, Hey, let's look at the metrics. Let's look at the dashboard. And, you know, it, this is, it's, it's a great opportunity, you know, for, for the folks that are listening to this, if, if you're thinking about it, because, um, you know, if you, if you, if you have a, a culture statement, you're living toward that, that culture, you're leading by example, and you're spending time coaching and, and supporting and training the SDRs, you're literally, you're raising to like the top, you know, five to 10% of SDR leaders that are out there because they just haven't even thought about this stuff. Um, and, and, and then you look at the SDRs and they're going, well, wait a minute, I don't know what success looks like on this team as, mm-hmm. a, as an SDR. Um, I, I, my, my boss hardly checks in. Um, he, he or she doesn't have any of the skills that they're telling me to have. And, uh, you know, they're just kind of whipping me to make more calls and send more emails this sucks, you know, and, and there's, there's no promotion path. So I'm out of here. I'm just going to take the SDRs are uh, getting hit on LinkedIn constantly for new oh, job sure. opportunities at the next Actually, software no. company. So Actually, if you're yeah. not addressing this, it's yeah. 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 And I, I, I read a lot on LinkedIn, just about people want to point the finger at SDRs as being, the, the issue. And I said, it's really, and it's, it's, it's not SDRs. I don't, it's not managers, not personalizing. It's just, we're up and down the chain. We're not enabling these people with the right perspective about what their jobs should be, what will make them successful and then give them the tools to, to do it. And that's for me, it's sort of like full stop. It's like, we're asking sort of the impossible of a lot of people is because especially when you're getting in, you know, rapidly growing companies or companies are scaling quickly. It's yeah. You're going to get the exceptional individuals that, that will swim instead of sinking, but we should have it set up. So more people can, can swim and not, not so many sink. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, and so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of factors involved and, and uh, you know, it definitely just as much attention as you can put on, enablement for for the the team and making sure that you have a high performance culture as well um, because it, 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 you know it, it's not the right job for everybody and and it's a lot of times it's a uh, uh, entry position to mm-hmm. get into the tech industry if you're not coming from a heavy tech background and uh, and you know the position itself, is great to offer that to folks to get into the tech industry, but there it's not necessarily the perfect position for that individual. <laughs> and so, from a leadership perspective, you you have to focus on building pipeline and and feeding the sales team. So you got to make sure that you have the right people on your team. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think this is again what distinguishes bosses from leaders is leaders, even in that environment with all the the. Uh, stress and and pressures that exist 
are able to create a sales environment for their sellers in these entry-level jobs, which really doesn't matter what, what industry. Yes, an entry-level sales job is for as long as I've been in it, which is for a really long time. You know, they're shit jobs, right? They're, they're jobs to be, they're learning experiences, but they're also, also jobs to be tolerated while you gain the experience so you can go do something that's a lot more fun. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I was fortunate to be in an environment where, you know, managers made it somewhat tolerable, right? But even really good managers, it's still, it's just, it's a tough, tough job. So I think is, yeah, managers yeah. have to be, especially frontline managers in, in sales develop, sales development roles or organizations, yeah, we just we need to help them more because we shouldn't be churning through uh, entry-level sellers as fast as we do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there, there's, you know, the push and pull um, of the needs of the business, which is an evergreen, <laughs> evergreen need of we need more pipeline. We need more appointments for the sales team. We, we need to make sure that the sales team are busy, you know, with uh, qualified appointments on their calendar with with highly qualified prospects and you know if we if like i said if we're not getting that from marketing directly then somebody has to go out and knock on doors you know dig- digitally these days right and mm-hmm. and and drum up some business and inherently like you said it's um it's a tough job and and uh it's it's you know somebody's got to do it so so uh, let's make it you know yeah. Positive experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if I were an SDR, I'd be looking at the AEs and saying, you know, if you could close a reasonable fraction of the opportunities that you're working on, we wouldn't need as much pipeline. <laughs> My job would be, I could be more focused on finding better opportunities if I knew that you were going to do a better job of executing on them. This is true. <laughs> yeah. And we talked about win rate um, and, and exactly. increasing win rate. And, and that's another great enablement uh, opportunity <laughs> out there for sure. Uh, because oh, yeah. as, as you pointed out, it, it's uh, pretty abysmal. Yeah. It's over across the board. Yes. Um, right, some let's talk about <laughs> yeah. Some companies do it well. Obviously, some companies do it well. Um, we're just talking sort of the broad brushstrokes. Uh, hiring. So, it, you know, you identify this is one of your frame, you know, key points in your framework. Uh, you identify a series of attributes that ideal candidates should have. So this, but brings, sort of comes back to the same question. So we talked about, you know, we don't enable new managers how to um, sell or not sell, but how, how to coach, how to mentor, how to develop people. How are we training new managers how to recognize and assess candidates? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and so this is another one of those things that's skipped over essentially um, in in common practice that we see out there. So so really, from just experience and working with folks, first and foremost, think deeply about your hiring process and and how it ties back to the culture that you're trying to develop on the team. So that's step number one. Can are those attributes that you've identified as part of the culture that you're trying to create uh, represented in the hiring process? Um, and you know, at least 
a spreadsheet that says, you know, based on what's important to us uh, on this team, these are the attributes that we're looking for so that we can start to look through that lens, whether it's the manager doing the, the recruiting or working with the HR department, that we can start to look for people that have some demonstrated evidence of, of you know, uh, living the cultural values that we want to bring on the team. Um, and so I'll get just give an example. So say, sure. you know, high high perform. We want to create a high performance culture. Okay, what is what does that specifically look like? And what are you looking for in candidates that demonstrate that they bring a high performance attitude toward their professional career? Um, and that that that's the lens that you can start to uh, use to to potentially talk to candidates in your recruiting process. And then if you want to go deeper than that, there's actual uh, assessments, online assessments and, and uh, you know, different tools out there that are hardly used or talked about at all in the SDR world uh, that are that are even, you know, uh, could be more uh, viable and important than you trying to do it yourself. Well, let me ask the question. I mean, you find value in those assessments? Cause I, I'm really a, a mixed mind. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I've taken some of those assessments and I took one <laughs> and, and played it straight. And, um, yeah, I get a call from the, the CEO of the, the company, like two days after I took it, cause he knew I was going to take it is, he was concerned about me because, you know, basically I'm not supposed to be in sales according to the assessment. Yeah. So, uh, but I managed to, you know, squeak by for, you know, <laughs> four decades. So, um, <laughs> you know, just a little skeptical of the value of some of those. I think they're interesting as a data point. I just really wonder how, how accurate, you know, is, I, maybe just a cautionary tale for, for managers is use them as a data point. Don't use them as a decision point. It's true. Yeah. And, and so it could be part of the mix. And then also, you can check performance based on if you want to, uh, you know, dot it all the way back to the the recruiting process that you have in place to see if it if it actually works. So it could be that the recruiting process that you have in place is producing people that churn out and don't do anything <laughs> in six months, and it's like, okay, now we have a place to start. Our recruiting process obviously is not. Uh, viable. <laughs> so we need to start working on that. Absolutely. To find, uh-huh. But I think that you raise a great point, though, is that too few companies that, that I've seen and worked with have you know, a real data-driven approach to hiring, where they they are going back and you know creating a, a scorecard based on these attributes that are important, and a scorecard on you know, it could include an assessment score, it could include you know factors that you uh, that you're looking for, like, you know, are they coachable, so on and so forth. Communication skills, you can test communication skills, you know, written skills and speaking skills. And then, but yeah, create a scorecard and then say, look, you know, we won't hire anybody below a certain aggregate score on our scorecard. Does that work? Right? Has this worked for you? And again, it's too few companies I see that actually take that step of quantifying, tracking, we hired these attributes. Do these attributes actually correlate into successful sales? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, th- there's there's uh, 
examples that I've seen is basically like the mirror fogging test you know, for SDR. And it's a very light <laughs> recruiting process. They can fog a mirror. Right, let's, right. let's get them in. And, and you know, we're, we're okay with high attrition and, you know, 50% of the team washing out in, in six months and things like that. So if that's the risk appetite and you're okay with that, that's fine. But, um, you know, for most companies, fi- finding a, a, a great person and having them be long term with the company is, is really important. And so, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the other thing we see a lot is, well, we only hire collegiate athletes. Um, <laughs> they have to be, you know, D5 or something like that. I can't remember what the thing is, but, you know, well, we're only going to hire them. D3, D2, D1, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's something like that. Yeah. So they've got this whole team of people from from that that kind of profile. And um, I don't know, for some companies, it works really well. So it's like, okay, let's double down on collegiate athletes. But other ones, everybody, you know, quit or left the company within six months. So let's let's take another look at that collegiate athlete thing and make sure that it's viable for our business. Yeah, well, I think hiring, unfortunately, in most companies is still sort of driven by anecdote. And hey, we've hired this type of person in the past. They seem to really work out. And they're judging it based on a sample size of one, right? Where the, the rest of them didn't work out. Um, I, I want to get one another point that you talk about hiring, which I thought was really interesting. You said that um, the personal brand of the hiring manager is essential. So in terms of the fact that, sure, just as, as the hiring managers are going on LinkedIn and social to investigate candidates, the candidates are doing the same of the manager. So what should the manager be doing relative to their own personal brand? Yeah, and, you know, probably, I'm not sure if I put it essential, but I think it's important and, and uh, to, to understand the point that you're making and that they're checking you out just as much, especially in this market that, that, that we're in right now. It's very competitive for the top, you know, SDRs or even potential candidates. Um, then they have a lot of choices. And they're, like I said, they're being, they're being courted by my, a lot of different companies. And so if they if they go to your profile and they see that that um, it's very minimal, there's no picture, you know, there's no evidence of of you supporting people and helping them, you know, achieve their goals and go to president's club and, and things like that. And then they go over to another company that they're looking at and there's there is evidence of that. Uh, you know, put yourself in their shoes. Right? I, I mean, I, I you know, it'd be a pretty easy choice. And I see a lot of SDR managers who are great about this. And it's probably just because I'm in this world and I, I follow them on LinkedIn. But they're they're posting pictures of people going to Cabo and, you know, mm-hmm. um, making President's Club. They, they, they tag the list of people who have been promoted out of the SDR org and are now becoming AEs and going to different parts of the business. And, and it's like... That I am excited about that that opportunity, and and so that's something to definitely consider. Yeah, yeah, I think it's. I mean, obviously, if you're a hiring manager, you want to be thinking about this just from your own career standpoint, not just obviously if are you appealing to candidates coming on board. So it's there's multiple reasons why you want to be attentive uh, to your Great personal brand. 
on LinkedIn and that, yes, you're showing that you're supportive of your people, but also that, that you look like an individual that they can learn from. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're not posting anything on LinkedIn, even just occasionally, right. Or commenting on something that people can track and see what does this person have to offer, right? What sort of value can they provide? Yeah. You're doing yourself a disservice and the company you work for as well. Yeah, definitely. And and I mean, you skip ahead a little bit to the reputation part, uh, you know, being an effective SDR leader is is so valuable right now. I mean, if you mm. look at um, the <laughs> supply and demand, yes, um, the and and the salaries are are off the charts uh, for people that can actually do this job really really well, um, and and uh, it, it has there's so much potential in the future for people that can do this because, like I said, you're at the crossroads between all these different uh, departments, you have a good understanding of these things. It's, it's an art and a science and, you know, the, it's a, it's a valuable skill. So it's, it's worth, you know, um, investing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, David, we sort of come to the end of our time here. So if yeah. people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm on LinkedIn all day. Um, it's Delaney, D-U-L-A-N-Y, um, uh, David Delaney, and uh, 10 Bound is just T-E-N-B-O-U-N-D.com, and a ton of free resources. You can We just say you can get your PhD in SDR for free, <laughs> so check it out. like that. PhD in <laughs> SDR. There we go. Good tagline. I like it. All right, David, thanks a lot. Thank you, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, David Delaney, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>